This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. The word I'm going to share today, I I just want to give people, I'm going to give it a disclaimer today because it's going to touch different people in different ways. And even as I was just going through it, uh, there's so so many facets to this this diamond that I'm going to share today. I don't want anybody to, uh, to take anything personal because as you start, as you start, Spreading out truth, I was just thinking as I was reading through some of these scriptures, some people it's going to touch in one way, some people it's going to touch another way. And so I just ask today that you would just really listen to the Lord and the Lord's going to highlight different things to different people in the room that he's working on you with, that he's walking you through with. And uh, so the, the crazy part is I have people all the time that come to me and say, you know, you, you were talking just to me or... I, I can't believe you were addressing that, and it's, there's absolutely, positively nothing personal here. It's a Father's Day message, but just as I read through it, uh, I know different people are in different places. So I got Bruno going up there. So we're going to go fast and furious. I actually have quite a few scriptures. but uh, So today I'm going to talk about the broken world. You know, this is a completely broken world that we live in right now. You just have to look anywhere, and it's a completely broken world. I don't think anybody could disagree with that. Talking with people from uh, all over the world, even this week, talking to our son and daughter in, uh, our our son-in-law and daughter in Australia, talking with uh, Ajay in Thailand, talking with the people from Sierra Leone, you know, the whole world's broken in different ways, and different people are going through different stuff. You know, there, there's no doubt that it's uh, broken. The past year has just proven how broken the world really is. If you just look at what all's all happened over the last year. As the last, over the last year, we've watched the nation experience a deepening divide that threatens to rip us all apart. And it's not just outside the church, it's also within the church. Uh, I can't believe how many leaders in even the past few months have fallen. There's been some really crazy stuff that has happened, and you know, I'm not gonna go into all of it, but there's just been very influential leaders that were leading huge organizations that have just fallen or walked away, and it's been, uh, it's been crazy. All over the place, we see people that are blaming a president. They're blaming politicians. They're blaming each others for all the issues going on in the country. Everybody has a finger to point at somebody else. And uh, if you just spend a few minutes on Facebook, on Twitter, on any kind of uh, social media or any kind of television channels, you're going to see that people are blaming other people and literally people across the world are hating other people for different things that are going on or the different ways things have been handled. And so the saddest part about this, the worst part, is many of these people tout Jesus. Many of these people have the quintessential Jesus bumper sticker on the back of their car. They're wearing the t-shirt. They're... they're they're, they're carrying the name of Christ and they're just showing such hate and disdain for people that don't agree with them. It's as if that doing his work and preaching his message that they're justifying their actions, they're justifying their attitudes, they're justifying their positions. Their words... And it reflects on the gospel of Jesus. You know what? Were his hands extended here on the earth. 
So let us not be fooled. This is, this is not a partisan issue. It's not a, a national issue. It's not Americans. It's not Democrats. It's not independents. It, it, it's not Republicans. You know, it's people from all sides of the political spectrum. It's people from all sides of the world spectrum. And worse, the church in a lot of ways is the most guilty party across the world. The church is causing more division, spreading more hate than anybody else. It comes from physical violence to verbal abuse to shaming our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. And you know what? We failed. We we as Christians have totally failed what's going on. We failed to be Christians. We failed to be in the light. We failed to be the light of this world. We failed to be his hands and feet. We failed to be the voice of reason. We failed to be the voice of hope, of mercy. We're not carrying the peace of God. We're not carrying his joy. Remember, the joy of the Lord is our strength. This got loud all of a sudden. We failed in every aspect to represent our risen Savior across the spectrum we're called to do. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 31, he says, and the second is this, you must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You will never find a greater commandment than these. You know, as we know, it's kind of loud. As we know, they were asking Jesus, what was the greatest commandment? And he said, to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? It's sad we're not showing, we're we're not showing love. John 15, 12, he says, so this is my commandment. Love each other so deeply as I have loved you. You know what? This is what Christ said we should be doing. He said that this is the way people would know that we belong to him. That we would love them as he loves us. You know, are we really showing forth that love? And yet we have placed political candidates on both sides, not just presidential We've placed situations over Jesus in our lives. We've exemplified stands. We've exemplified other things other than that. We've placed political ideas, political ideologies, social agendas over the top of the scripture in our lives. And worse is all these people are using scripture to justify what they're doing. And you can go through the scripture and you can justify just about anything. You can look and you can find and you can pull something out out of context and you can make it agree with what you're saying. We've made the worldly media our source of truth and we haven't even fact-checked it. We've allowed hate, anger, and spite and wrath to replace the love of God in their lives. So how did we end up here? How did we end up in this place? How did we get to the point that is so far from where God wants us to be? You know what? We've forgotten who we are. And we've forgotten what we're supposed to be. We we need to get back on track. If you want to see God break out. If you want to see God break out, we need to get back to. It was 1992, was the Brownsville? Is that right? It was 85? On Father's Day in 1985, uh, not very large church, I think there was 120 people in session in 2000 at, at, oh, there was 120 at Catch the Fire when it started. So there was 2,000 people at Pensacola at this Assemblies of God church, and they got up and they started preaching a Father's Day message, and revival broke out in Pensacola. 
And it went on for 10 years, six days a week. You know what? If we really want to see God break out, we need to get back to God's agenda. If we really want to see this world change, if you really want to see politics changed, if you really want to see social things change, if you really want to see a change come, we need to get back to being who we're called to be because if we're not being that, how are we being an example to anybody around us? If we're just part of the problem, if we're just the, the gasoline on the fire, it's never going to happen. We've forgotten who we are and what we're supposed to be. 1 John 3.1 says, Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished upon us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they didn't recognize him. Now, can we really say that about ourselves? Can we say that people don't recognize him because they're not recognizing God? Or are we trying to be a part of what's going on? And in verse 2, he tells us, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it's not yet apparent what we will become because we do not know when that is. You know what? God's going to meet us as we're walking down the path. I mean, God's going to pull us in. But if you want to be in the center of God's will, if you want God to be using you, if you want to walk in that joy and that peace, if you want to walk in all those things, we need to be listening to him. We need to be pressing into him and not pressing into everything around us. We, we need to be that light that's going to walk in the darkness. And you know what? When the light walks in the darkness, it doesn't have to explain why it's there. And it doesn't have to justify anything. When you walk in with light into darkness, things are going to illuminate. And the closer you are with Christ, the greater the illumination. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But those who embrace him took hold of, the, took hold of his name and were given authority to become the children of God. You know what? We've lost sight of all that. We've lost sight of what it means to be a child of God. What it means for our lives and what it means for the world. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to live our lives that are totally separate from this world. Not out of this world, but totally separate from this world. 1 Peter 1.16, the scripture says, you are holy because I am holy. It's not a thing about us being holy. It's not a thing about that we have to justify. When you think about Jesus, when he went places, he didn't have to justify his position. He just did what the Father told him to do. And you know what? Things happened. He didn't justify ever why he was doing what he was doing. He just did it and people got the message. Why? Because the light shone. Things around changed when he did what he did. 1 John 2, 13 and 14. He says, I remind you, fathers and mothers, you have a relationship with the one who has existed from the beginning. And I remind you, young people, you have defeated the evil one. I write these things to you, dear children, because you truly have a relationship with the Father. And I write these things, fathers and mothers, because you have a true relationship with him who is from the beginning. And I write these things, young people, because you are strong and the word of God is treasured in your hearts and you have defeated the evil one. Do you really think what God is trying to say right now is important? I can honestly say when you just look at the world, God is screaming at the top of his lungs trying to get our attention. He's no longer whispering. He's screaming over the commotion that we're allowing in our lives. And you know what? We're still not listening. We spend all this time praying and asking him to move, asking for revival, asking for all these things, and he's saying, this is all the simple thing you have to do. Just do what I'm telling you to do. Don't do what you think is best. 
And we're like, but I can't do that right now because look what's going on around me. Do you see what's going on, God? 1 John 2, 15 and 16, he says, don't set your affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of this world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. For all the world can offer us the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of things of this world, and the obsession with the status and importance. None of these things come from the Father, but from the world. You know, we're not supposed to be about the things of this world. And I got to tell you, we get so immersed in the things of this world trying to change things that we're missing that our whole job is to bring the kingdom of heaven here. I really need to point out, but Jesus, <laughs> the disciples all thought he was going to come and overthrow the government and set everything right. And you know what? He never even addressed the issue. Why? Because you know what? When his kingdom comes, it supersedes everything that's going on. It supersedes every ruler. It supersedes every law. It supersedes every law of nature, every law of man. You know what? When God shows up on the situation, all those things are nothing. They're dust. The truth is, the reason we see these things that we're seeing in the church is because we have forgotten what we are supposed to be about. We've forgotten what God has called us to do. We've forgotten who we are. We're sons and daughters of the kings, of the king. We're, we're not Americans. We're not Republicans. We're not Democrats. We're not independents. We're not illegal aliens. We're not legal aliens. We're, we're, we're sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And we need to be about his business. And I guarantee you, his business is never going to cross other things that we're not supposed to cross. And it's not about bringing chaos. It's not about bringing confusion. It's about bringing his kingdom. And his kingdom is a rule and reign of peace. When we look at Luke 2, 41 through 50... We're not going to read that passage, but do you realize that, that Luke, God bless him, is the only gospel writer that tells us the part of Christ's life? He's the only one. Matthew jumps straight from Jesus' birth to his baptism. But Luke plugs in the whole story about Jesus, about his trip to Jerusalem as a teenager. Why? Because right in the middle, Jesus says something that we need to hear. So let's Let's look at those passages really quick. Luke 41 through 50. Every year, Jesus' parents went to worship at Jerusalem during the Passover festival. And when Jesus turned 12, his parents took him to Jerusalem to observe the Passover, as was their custom. A full day after they began their journey home, Joseph and Mary realized that Jesus was missing. And they had assumed he was somewhere in their entourage, but he was nowhere to be found. And after a frantic search among his relatives and friends, Mary and Joseph returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After being separated from him for three whole days, they finally found him in the temple, sitting among the Jewish teachers and listening to them, speaking and asking questions. All who heard Jesus speak were astounded at his intelligence and understanding of what was being discussed and the wise answers to their questions. His parents were shocked to find him there, and Mary scolded him, saying, Son, your father and I have searched for you everywhere, and we have been worried sick over not finding you. Why did you do this to us? And Jesus said to them, Why would you need to search for me? Didn't you know that I would be necessary for me to be here in my father's house consumed with him? And Mary and Joseph didn't fully understand what Jesus meant. Luke thought that was so important. Can you imagine being Mary or Joseph? Can you imagine what it must have felt like? The panic, the fear. Three days later, you can't find your son. 
We could talk a lot about what we need to hear, but right here at the end, you see that three days after searching, after retracing all their steps, they finally end up back at the temple. I'm pretty sure that it was probably in desperation, and I'm pretty sure they weren't looking for Jesus there. They were going back to find prayer from the priest. Like, you need to pray, we've lost our son. They wanted God to intervene. They wanted God to forgive them for losing their son. They wanted God to help them find their son. But what did they find? They found Jesus right there. They found their son right there. So I have to ask, why is the church always the last resort? Why is it always the last place we go in desperation? Why is it when everything falls apart, we let it all fall apart before we go? It should be the first. Any way they get there, and there's Jesus. Just sitting there with no concerns of the world. He's talking to the priest. He's listening to the priest. He's questioning the priest. He's giving his own answers. Luke 2.47. And all who heard him were amazed at this understanding and his answer. But that wasn't Mary's reaction. In Luke 2:48 it says when his parents saw him they were astonished and his mother said to him child why have you treated us like this look your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety You know Moms in the room how would have you reacted if you lost your son if you lost your child for three days in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of this big travel, and you thought they were in this big entourage, and all of a sudden they're not there anymore. You know what? You're worried. You finally get to your child, and what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to scold them. Get it? You're going to scold them because you lost them. You're going to scold them because you didn't keep track of your child. See, but look at Jesus' response in 249. He said to them, why are you searching for me? You did not know that I must be in my father's house? You know what the reality is? If that same thing happened to you today, if you lost your child and you couldn't find him anywhere and you came to the church and you said, hey, will you guys pray for me? And your son or your daughter was right here. <laughs> how would you react? Most of you would be so upset that they were at the church. Some people in this room would ground their child from coming to church. We may not accept it from our children, but the statement is, but that statement, the statement is so important for us to hear. We have to be in our Father's house. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit's saying. Verse 50 tells us, but they did not understand what he said to them. You know what? I think so often we don't understand it either. We don't understand what God's saying to us because we're trying to look at it through our eyes. We're trying to look at it when we're praying to God, we already have a solution in mind. Let's be serious. When we're praying to God, we know what has to be done. We just want him to jump on our program and do what we're asking the way we're asking. And even if it's his will, we want him to do it our way because we've already figured it out because... We're all knowing. We think, well, of course he had to be there. That's Jesus. He's the Son of God. 
But Jesus wasn't simply acknowledging his, his divine origin. He wasn't confessing his knowledge of the future ministry, but he was telling them something important. Jesus was revealing a truth about all of us. About God's people. Mary and Joseph should have known where to look for him because they are God's children. And God's children should be in the Father's house. Not only in the physical house, but we should be in God's house. We should be in God's family. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should always be in that mode. You know what? When you read this, what, what Luke brought out here, it brings a whole new perspective on coming to church, doesn't it? We always have all these other things to do, but you know what? Coming together strengthens us. Coming together lifts us up. Coming together sometimes challenges us. But at the end of the day, you always feel better, but the question is, what do you do when you hit the threshold of the door? What do you do when you hit the sidewalk? Are you carrying that or are you leaving that here and just moving on with the way things were? Let's look at verse 49 again. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? You know what? That word in my father's house equates to I must be about my father's business every day, all day, no matter what we're doing. And that doesn't mean being like a monk and forsaking everything and going off and hiding somewhere. It means in whatever we're doing, in our job, in our daily life, we need to be about the father's business. Are you really taking time to ask God, what am I going to do today? How can I glorify you in my job? How can I glorify you when I'm in the supermarket? How can I glorify you in each and everything I'm doing in each and every person I come across? What Jesus is saying to them is where my father is, is where the center of his activity is. And there I always want to be found. Are we really in the center of God's activity? You know what? If you're in the center of God's activity, things around you are going to be changing. I can tell you, church, if we get in the center of God's activity, revival will break out. It'll be like a nuclear reactor. It'll be like the atom splitting. Why? Because we're in the, when we're in the center of what God is doing, things happen. And you can't stop it, and you can't shut it down, and you can't deter it. We need to be in the center of that. Christ was declaring, I have to be about my father's business. So is that our decree? In everything we're doing, is that our decree? Or are we complaining about what's going on around us? Are we complaining about what's not going right? Are we complaining about what other people are doing? You know, that's how we need to live our life. We as children of God are supposed to be about his father's business. As Christians, we're not supposed to be identified by anything except for our father's business. And the great part is, it's not a canned thing. Being about our father's business is being who we are, who we were called to be. It's walking in our gifting. It's, it's, it's working together in the body of Christ. It's doing what God has called us to do. No matter what other people are saying, no matter what other people are doing or not doing, we need to be about our Father's business. If you notice, Jesus was never deterred by what was going on around him. Very rarely did he confront anybody except when it just got to a point where he just had to say something, but then he just turned around and just went on. And usually, he answered their question with another question that they didn't want to answer because that would then set them in a bad light. And then they just kind of fade away. They fade off. So what is the, fa what is the father's business? You know what? When you read through the scripture, the father's business is simply family. The Father's business is all about building a family. Romans 8, 14 through 16. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you do not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back to the fear of never ending being good enough. 
but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never be orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirit joins with him in saying these words of tender affection of the beloved Father. For Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us, and he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. You know what? He's not called us to condemn the evils of this world. He's not called us to expose the evils of this world. He hasn't called us to fix all the world's issues. Only God can do that. He's called us to be fishers of men, not the cleaners of the fish. He's not called us to judge all our brothers and correct all their mistakes. He's called us to be our brother's keeper. He's called us to uplift them. He's called us to walk with them. He's called us to fellowship with them. God called us to be his children, to be a family, to be his family. And a family is what I believe the vision, the family is really what I believe the vision for this church is supposed to be. How many of us know a family is made up of everybody? The good, the bad, the ugly, the, the strange, the perfect, the not so perfect. You know what? A family grows and serves and loves together. You know what? God doesn't call us into a church. He calls us into a family. It's not about a membership. It's about being a part of a family. And his family is not like worldly families. If we're going to be about the father's business of building a family, then there's several things we need to do. Number one, the foundation of the family must be love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Until then, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. And yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which they run. 1 Peter 2.17 tells us, love the family of believers. Hebrews 2.11 says, Jesus the Holy One, make us holy as sons and daughters now that we belong to the same Father so he is not ashamed or embarrassed to introduce us as his brothers and sisters. <laughs> wow, how many of us think to a time even this week where God would say, well, I really don't want to introduce them the way they're acting right now. I don't want to claim them as our brother and sister. You know what? That's a lie of the enemy. He loves us right where we're at. We're hiding, and he's trying to expose us. Not expose our faults. He's trying to expose us as his sons and daughters. He's trying to uplift us. Galatians 6.10 says, Take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others, especially to our brothers and sisters in the family of faith. Not tearing each other down to be a blessing. Not trying to bring conformity, but to bring unity. Matthew 12, 48 through 50. But Jesus looked at him and said, let me introduce my true mother and brothers. Then gesturing to his disciples, he gathered them around him and he said, look closely, for this is my true family. And when you obey my heavenly father, that makes you a part of this true family. Church, don't let the enemy lie to you. We're part of a family. We're part of God's family. When he looks down, he loves us right where we're at. He loves us even on our faults. He loves us on what's going on. He loves us in all of our quirks, in all of our failures. He loves us and he wants to encourage us. The church is a family made up of all people, of all sorts of backgrounds, opinions. But we're called by God to be united in love. Love is the bond of unity. 
that love that he talks about, the greatest, the greatest commandment is love, that's the bricks. But I'm going to tell you the unity is the mortar that holds all those bricks together. It's not about tearing each other apart because we have a difference of opinion. You know what? We need to start looking at where we're at and not look at how other people's giftings or what other people are doing is not what we're doing. We need to look about how those things work together for the greater good of the family of God. How is that going to help what I'm doing? How is that going to change the world around us? We should love other believers in spite of our difference of opinion because God loves them because this is how we grow. I'll tell you, we were listening to a, I was listening to a, a teaching a while back here on a Zoom call and they were talking to John and Carol Arnott and some of the people that were part of their staff in their 25 years of revival going on and especially in those first years where it was going on six days a week, packed wall to wall. And one of the people, one of the pastors asked him, you know, how do you manage something like that? And he says, you know what? If you really want to see revival in your church, he goes, you have to be willing to trust God. And he goes, by trusting God, I mean, if two or 300 people are getting saved every night, you have to be able to send people to churches in your neighborhood and not worry about their doctrine, not worry about what's going on, not worry about all the ins and outs, not try and micromanage that because you've got to trust that if God brought them there, they're going to go to the right place. Because you can't manage it. You can't contain it. You can't hold it. When God starts pouring out his spirit, you need to be able to trust God that he brought them in and he's going to take them where he wants them to go. And he says, if you can't do that, then God is never going to bring revival to where you're at. It's not about how many people are sitting in the seats. It's about how many people are coming to the kingdom and plugging into the body. Not just saying a prayer but actually plugging into the body. And you know what? They might plug into our cousin's house. They might plug into our neighbor's house. They might plug into our brother, our sister. They, it doesn't matter. God is going to use people, and he's going to put people in the subfamily that he wants them in. Number two is we must grow. Growth is an essential characteristic of a disciple of Christ. I'm not talking about growth in numbers, you know what, that's going to take care of itself, all by itself. I'm talking about growth in Christ, growth as a body of believers, devoting ourselves to Christ's teaching and letting go of the world and growing closer to God. You know what, that's the way the gospel is going to get to the entire world, is as we start growing. The gospel does not... Does not spread through divisiveness. It doesn't spread through hate. It doesn't spread through anger. It doesn't spread through slander. It doesn't spread through rumors. It doesn't spread through the shame this world is engaged in. But it spreads through the church growing together in love. One of the greatest things I love about this whole Sierra Leone thing is you know what? They were planting churches, and they reached a point where they said, uh-oh, <laughs> we have all these brand new people that have been saved, because there was a very minuscule amount of Christians in Sierra Leone at the time. We have all these people that have been saved. We have all these people that have started house churches who are doing a great job, but guess what? When people that have just been saved, what can they teach? They can only teach what they know, and all they know is that they got saved. All they know is that God touched them. And so through a whole series of events, they ended hooking up with Russ Fraze, and they brought the Joshua Nation's Bible school there. And guess what? That brought a two-year Bible school where now they're making disciples. And five years ago when I was there, there were 16 schools in the whole country, and now there's 90, soon to be 192. And why? It isn't about making churches. It isn't about connecting the churches. It's about making disciples and letting people grow together in love. 
You know what? We've lost sight of all that. The wonderful thing I love about the Joshua Nation schools is you go places and there's Baptists that are teaching and they're not teaching all the same classes we're teaching because they have a different view on leadership and they have a different view on Holy Spirit and they, they can have different views and they can change it up and they can meet their needs. But you know what? They're still making disciples with the same thing. It's like when a parent cooks a meal. If you're barbecuing steaks for the family, you don't hand your baby a 12-ounce ribeye. You cut it up, or you're giving them the mashed peas, and you're mashing them for them, and you're cutting the corn off the cob for one child where somebody else is going to eat it. Somebody wants it rare, and somebody wants it cremated and a, a, a sacrifice. I'm not going to mention my wife. It has to be shoe leather. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, but instead we remain strong and always sincere in our love that we express the truth. Our direction and ministries will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into him, the anointed head of the body of the church. For his body has been formed in his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one and every member has been given a divine gift to contribute to the growth of all and these gifts are operate effectively through the whole body and we are built up and made perfect in love church use your gift don't be something you're not use your gift that God has given you right where you're at This is why Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, but continue to grow and increase in God's grace and intimacy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he may receive all the glory both now and until the day eternity begins. You know what? Growth may not be easy. We may face new challenges in the future. It requires intentional effort. So let's be praying for each other. Let's be praying that we will grow personally as a church and corporately as we reach out to the community, as we reach out to the world around us. Francis Chan says, we will never grow closer to God when we just live life. It takes a deliberate pursuit and attentiveness. You know what? Never say never to God. I have found out so many times here, especially in the last 60 to 90 days, things I said never, God, you end up. Everybody here that's been here for any amount of time knows the moment I came back from Sierra Leone, I said, been there, done that, never want to go back. You know what? We never wanted to be in Boulder County or Boulder ever, ever, ever. And what does God do? I'm going to bless you. <laughs> I'm going to really bless you. I'm going to give you three buildings in the place you don't want to be. And you're going to be happy about it. <laughs> and then, to be honest, I've always been happy because, you know, I can live with Boulder County, but we're not in Boulder. And then the other night, we went out to dinner with a couple. And they wanted to meet at a restaurant in Boulder. And guess what? When we were there, God says... You guys need to uh, reach the people right here. You need to plant a satellite. You need to start doing stuff right here in the, in the heart of the west part of Boulder. As we're driving down Broadway through past the Pearl Street Mall, I wanted to look out the window. Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> I need another opinion on this. <laughs> you know, you can't send me back to Sierra Leone and to Boulder at the same time. I'm only one man. I mean, I can't, I can't take this. But you know what? God instantly changes our heart if we allow him to. If we stop looking at all the reasons why not and we start looking at, all right, God, this is what you want. So obviously you have a plan and I'd rather be in the center of your plan and be uncomfortable than be trying to do it myself and struggling. Number three is we must serve. Romans 2, 12, 
6 through 8. God's marvelous grace imparts to each one of us varying gifts and ministries that are unique that are uniquely ours. So if God has given us the the gift of grace has given you the grace gift of prophecy, you must activate your gift by using the proportion of faith to which you have prophesied. If your grace gift is serving, then thrive in serving others well. If you have a grace gift of teaching, then be actively teaching and training others. If you have a grace gift of encouragement, then use it often to encourage others. If you have a grace gift of giving to meet the needs of others, then may you prosper generously without any fanfare. If you have a gift of leadership, be passionate about your leadership. And if you have a gift of showing compassion, then flourish in your cheerful display of compassion. John Wesley said, do all the good you can by all means. And you can do in all places that you can do in all times. In all times you can tell all the people you can as long as you can. It's a mouthful. First Peter 4.10, every believer has received a grace gift, so use them to serve one another as faithful stewards in the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. You know what? The church is the context in which we're meant to serve each other. The church is the context. It takes all of us to meet the needs of people. It's not by, de by dominating or demanding conformity to our opinions or our ideologies, but by helping them serve and love others in grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the church must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ and to exist for others. You know what? Our actions are what's going to reveal a life that is lived for others. When people look at us, they're going to see the fruit. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter how you're doing it. You know what? It's our actions that are going to make the difference. And if our actions are being caught up in the affairs of the world, that's going to be what people look at us. If our actions are carrying that grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and wanting to see other people flourish, that's going to show also. Number four, we must practice love. Christianity without love is not Christianity at all. Love is the single thing about Christianity that changes the world. It's what sets a church apart. I got ahead of our translator there. He's not an auctioneer yet, but we're working on him. John 13, 34 through 35 says, so I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. Are we really loving people around us as much as God loves us? Especially the people that have different ideas and different ways of doing things. John 15, 12. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. You know what? Love can never be the missing element in anything. If love is missing, it's not of God. If love is not there, it's not of God. Love can never be the missing element in anything we do, whether online, whether in person.
The life function of the church is to love God who created it, to care for others out of obedience to Christ, to heal those who hurt, to take away fear, to restore community, and to belong to one another, to proclaim the good news in the midst of living it out. We can't preach the good news and not love people around us. We can't preach the good news and hate our brothers and sisters. We can't preach the good news and not care about those around us. The church is the invisible made visible, is what Charles Coulson says. No one should ever be able to look at the church, to look at you, and say, I don't see any evidence that God even exists. When people look at us, do they see that God exists? Do they know that there's a God? Do they want to come to you when the trouble comes? <laughs> we must be the church. And you know what? That means we have to do it together. Because what we have isn't the answer for everybody we're going to come in contact with. We're going to be one little piece, but there's other people in the body that can help them through those things. Number five, family means together. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. In writing you this letter addressed to the community of God throughout the city of Corinth, for you have been made pure and set apart in the anointed one, Jesus, and God has invited you to, to be his devoted and holy people. And not only you, but everyone everywhere who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and is ours also. You know what? God's called us to be a part. And it's not an exclusivity. He wants everybody to be a part. And so who are we to say people can't be a part? Who are we to condemn those around us? Who are we to say that their sin or their shortcomings or their beliefs are subservient to ours? Paul's saying it's not that way. Each one of us has been uniquely made and we need to be tolerant. It doesn't mean you agree with everybody, but you know what? I can disagree with somebody and still love them. I can disagree with somebody and still be there when the chips are down. We're called to be a family here in Lafayette. But we're also part to be a we're also called to be a part of a global family of believers. Amen. That means stop looking and be. I can honestly tell you, you know what? If God's called you to be here and you know, I mean, so many people have told me, God called me to be here. God brought me here because of this or God brought me here because of that or I came back because of this or I came back because of that. You know what? That same voice that called you to be here Guess what? He's going to speak with you the same voice when he wants you to leave. I'm not trying to hold on to anybody, but you know what? We get offended by little things, or we get offended by people, or we get turned off because somebody's doing something different, and then we run away and we forget where God called us to be. You know, if I, if I was in the flesh, the minute they called and said, hey, do you want to take over the ministry in Sierra Leone? Nope, but I'll give you some number of some people that might. <laughs> but you know what? The reality was there were no other people they were talking to. I guess the ultimate reality was they called Jason at Joshua Nason's and said, do you want to do that? And he said, we don't do that. If we start helping one church, we have... 7,000 schools will be up to 30, 40, 50,000 churches that need help, and that's not what they're, that's not their gift. That's not what they're doing. They're helping the body of Christ make disciples. They're giving them plans. They're giving them a package where they can make disciples according to their customs and the needs of anybody anywhere in the world at any place at any time, setting foundations. But the reality was, it wasn't like there were all these places. 
you know, God has a purpose and a plan, and I could have said no. But you know what? I'm not one to say no. I'm just moving forward in what God has. Nikki Gumbel says, stop looking for the perfect church. It doesn't exist. And even if it did exist, the moment you or I joined it, it would no longer be perfect. It would be... (laughs) Ephesians 2.22, this means that God is transforming each one of us into the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place, through whom the power of the Holy Spirit is living in you. John 3.8, they are deserving of all support you can imagine, that through all support we can give them because through our giving we can partner with them in the truth. You know what, we're called to grow the church together no matter what it looks like. That means growing and serving and loving together. We need to be about our Father's business. When we do that, guess what? Growth automatically happens. Growth just... We need to look back at Christ's young story. In Luke 2, 51 and 52, Jesus went back home to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured Jesus' words deeply in your heart. And as Jesus grew, so did, his, so did his wisdom and maturity. And the favor of men increased upon his life, for he was loved greatly by God. You know what? We're all on a journey. But what we need to understand is we're all on a journey together. And we're all part of his family. We're all as a family, we're all on that journey. And even though it might look different, and even though there might be different times we stub our toe or fall in the pothole, we're all working together. As we look to the future, let us remember, recognize, and repent for our past mistakes. Let us be a church that strives to overcome divisiveness. All the divisiveness of this world and we need to exude the love of Christ. Let's focus on our words and on our action and on our deeds, becoming words and action and deeds that bring unity and bring love in every situation we come across. Jesus is the hope of the world. And guess what, the local church The local church is the vehicle that God is bringing it through. Let me close with this. (laughs) We cannot become a family that grows and serves and loves together if we're actually not together. We need to all be on the same page It doesn't mean we're all doing the same thing. There's banks on the river, and you know what? You can have a little river like we have the Platte River down here, and some people think that's big, but go someplace and look at like the Mississippi River, (laughs) especially when it gets down by the ocean. The river is huge, but guess what? It's all still the Mississippi from the east bank to the west bank. And when you go way up to the headwaters of the Mississippi, you can only take a little tiny fishing boat, but down at the bottom, huge ships can pass each other in both directions. There's about half of our congregation that doesn't come regularly. It doesn't matter what the reason is, they just don't come. Let's start showing love for them. Let's start praying for them. Let's start reaching out to them. Let's start showing them that they're missed when they're not here. You know what? That's the same thing we want. It's the same thing that we desire even when we don't think that's what we desire. We need to let people know that we love them and miss them. We need to let new people that come know that this is a safe place where it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how you dress, it doesn't matter what your past is. 
You know what? As we start showing forth the love, God is going to bring such an increase. Let's be a church that doesn't cause division, but let's be a church that walks in love. Let's be a church that's about the Father's business in each and everything we do.